Hello, everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of Social Work Radio with me, your host, Vince Peart. Once again, and always, we are joined by our co-host, Tilly Baden. Tilly, my friend, how the devil are you? How have things been in the fortnight since you were last aboard the good ship SWR? Hello, everyone. I'm good. It's good to be back. I've missed you last week. It was... um. Yeah, it was quite strange having a week off from the podcast. I've got used to it on my on my routine every week. Um, do you know what? Last weekend, or so this weekend just gone, it was the first time in ages where I did absolutely no work whatsoever. Nice. I treated myself to a whole two days off, which might sound a bit ridiculous to some people and think a lot of people have every weekend off. But you know me, Vince, I, mm. I'm a bit of a workaholic and it's very rare but I, I had a bit of a pamper session. So I went and got a massage and a pedicure. Nice, so that was nice. nice. Went out to dinner one night and then another night I went over to my boss's house actually and we got Chinese takeaway. So that was nice. And Did just you talk about work? A little bit, but not massively. Not I mean, we get on as friends anyway outside of work. So nice. um, yeah, yeah, it wasn't swamped with work conversation. Good, good. But it was nice just to, yeah, see some other friends and just have time where I wasn't thinking about social work. A, a very rare moment for me. How did you feel for it? Better. Do you know what? I, I did feel better. I think I needed that rest, actually. Um, yeah, I think it work can be all-consuming sometimes. And I know certainly I use it as a bit of a shield sometimes if I've got other things going on I can just throw myself into work and it's a bit of a distraction but I think sometimes you need to pause and just set aside time for yourself so I thought you'd be proud of me that I actually did it for a whole weekend and didn't do any work I wouldn't say proud's the right word I'm happy for you I'm I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm happy for you I think is a is a fairer and more considerate way of putting it um the one thing I would say though is that you do realize you can give yourself permission to do that every week if you want it doesn't just have to be a once in a blue moon thing I know I'm working on it I I will try and set aside maybe at least once a month just have a weekend where I don't do anything were you back at work on Monday yeah yeah it was um and how did you feel for having that rest what did you notice about your productivity application and skill and competency in the workplace do you know what it was worse (laughs) I shouldn't say that but I think that's not the answer I'm looking for (laughs) that's not where we're going no it's not it's not give me the answer that I want give me the answer that our listeners well I'll give you the honest answer and then I'll give you a a fake answer but no my honest answer is that actually it was worse because my head was outside of work then it wasn't really focused on it well it took me a day or two to then get back in the swing of things whereas normally because I don't get that break every day I'm kind of thinking about work and it's fresh in my mind so it's almost easier but the fake answer I'll give is oh yes I feel much more refreshed and I was much much better and more productive there you go I would hazard it's because you're not used to it I would suggest that if you were doing that regularly because it's like if you haven't drank for a long time. So, you know, I'm more or less completely teetotal. And I have been for a couple of years now. Last weekend, weekend before last, almost two weeks ago, I was out with a friend. Um, we went up to um, a, an amazing bookshop. 
um, called Barter Books. It's like one of the, oh, you would love it, Tilly. It's it's like, I'll, I'll send you some pictures sometime. It is one of the world's best secondhand bookstores. It's amazing. Wow. While we were there, it's in a place called Anik. She'd never been to Anik before. So I took her to see where they filmed the Quidditch scenes for the first Harry <gasps> Potter. Wow. So yeah, you know, whenever you come up and visit me, we'll have to go there. So you know, you know the obviously you know the first Harry, you'll know it frame by frame. Oh, obviously. So yes, you know where you know the, the first scene where he learns how to fly a broom and Neville's yes. remember all gets chucked up by Draco. Absolutely. Yep. Those grounds that is was filmed at a place called Atlantic Castle. We didn't go inside because I said, you know, if she wants to go again, we'll show the full place. So we went there. Um, what was the point of my story? I've forgotten the point of my story here. <laughs> You're talking about books and um listeners, this is this, I don't like, know. This, <laughs> listeners, this is why. <laughs> This is why, listeners, we didn't do the show last week when our editor, Nick, was not here to edit it. I'll be listening to this back and I'll kick myself. The point is, right, you need to take time out for yourself, okay? You need to take time out for yourself because if you do not take that time out for yourself on a regular basis and you do not get used to doing it all the time, you do not have that quality time, if you only do it fleetingly, It's such a deviation from the norm because you get stuck in that rut. So if you get stuck and you're doing something all the time, God, that's what it was, teetotalism. Got there in the end. It sounds like probably had a drink now. The point (laughs) I'm making is on the way back, I took it. So you know Weatherspoon's pubs have all got wild names, haven't they? Of course, yep. I played this game with her and I said, I bet that you cannot name a better Weatherspoon's pub than I'm about to show you right now. And this pub's called the Electrical Wizard. I was like, what? You couldn't get into Weatherspoons. Because Weatherspoons always have like strange names, don't they? They tend to be like loosely tied like characters in the area. So I'm going to take this pub called the Electrical Wizard. So I went in the Electrical Wizard in Morpeth on the drive back down. And I had a single drink and it knocked me for six. Literally, I had one single gin and tonic. And I had to go and lie down for two hours when I got back to mine. Oh no! Like, oh, literally, <laughs> literally, that is the, uh, that is my tolerance threshold, and that is that's exactly what's happened to you by having a couple of days to yourself because you you literally you don't have any tolerance for self care. Well, now you're making me feel like oh dear, maybe I've made a giant mistake and I need to do this more often. But you yeah. do, and, and if you do, I'll, t- I'll take I'll, I'll I'll take you to a Harry Potter Fluey's first broom, and I'll take oh, you. Amazing! To, that could be your reward. That could that could be your reward. We'll <laughs> Sounds like food. a plan. I won't be drinking. I won't be drinking because I can't even handle a drink. Um, yes, right. Should we? Uh, oh, I was going to say, should we crack on the show? But in our absence last week, we've had two reviews come in. Let's read them out now. Our first review comes from MashMaria247. She says, great podcast, five stars. She says, I am a social work student, just finished my first year. I find your podcast very insightful and enjoy listening. I used to listen on the way to uni, but now we have broken up. I listen at home as a way to wind down after a busy day's work and enjoy that you incorporate humour, even when discussing sensitive topics. 
Thank you for the podcast. Well, MashMaria247, thank you for listening to the podcast. I hope you're enjoying us, listening to us at home right now, and uh, we're helping you wind down. And perhaps you could teach Tilly a thing or two about winding down, couldn't she, Tilly? I think she probably could. Yeah, enjoy your summer. Our next one comes from WWF37. WWF, that's like worldwide wrestling. WWF37 says, long-time fan, five stars. Been a fan of Vince since the old Facebook page and podcast and loved when Tilly joined the podcast. These two walk the line of humour and seriousness about the profession incredibly well. I enjoy listening to them weekly and missed hearing their voices in the interim between the old podcast and this one. Very glad to have them back. Well, WWF37, we are glad to have you back too, aren't we, Tilly? Welcome back aboard the good ship SWR, WWF37. That's a lot of letters and numbers going there. You did well to not get your tongue tied. I'm on the ball. Do you know why I'm on the ball, Tilly? Because you haven't had a gin and tonic, maybe. And I'm well rested. I'm well rested. Ah, there you go. Teetotal and well rested. I've... uh, I've started oiling my hair uh, twice a week now. Have you ever oiled your hair? Oiled it? No. Yeah, hair oil. I have. Yeah, I think I'm going bald. Let's move on and talk about the dark secrets of surviving social work. Um, I'm in a relatively quiet week, the social work news, which isn't good when you're a website called Social Work News. But as always, we've had lots and lots of columns and ideas and features from our myriad array of columnists and feature writers of which you and I are two of those Tilly. Um, Our good friend Matt B um, wrote a piece over the weekend um, called What Helps Social Workers Get More Done? Self-Care or Caffeine? And I thought it's a very good idea. It's a very good idea for a podcast. And I mentioned that to one of our other columnists, our good friend Millie Glass. And I said, Millie Glass, um, thinking about doing this as a podcast and she said why don't you call the podcast the five dark secrets of surviving social work and i said why don't you write me a column called the five dark secrets of surviving social work and then we can piggyback that off the podcast so that's what we're doing so let's talk about mats first um are you a caffeine addict tilly are you addicted to the old uh, coffee and tea I used to be way more addicted than I am now. I used to quite easily do sort of seven, eight cups of coffee a day. But now I would say I'm sort of stick to three. Four is my absolute limit. If I have four, I'm pretty much bouncing off the walls. Um, it does affect me quite a lot if I have too much. But Does it help um, though? I, does, does it help? It does. Yeah. yeah, definitely. Um, particularly if I've got a long drive. So when we go up to our writers' retreat mm, this weekend, I'll be seeing you in two um, days' time. How exciting! I'm busy in person again. Oh, looking forward to it. Um, no, I will need to have several, probably double espresso shots to keep me going on the drive, just to deal with the monotony of motorway driving. Yes, I will probably be bouncing off the walls by the time I get to our writers' retreat with the amount of caffeine I've had. What do you think would happen to the overall productivity of the social work workforce if caffeine was banned? I mean, I would probably have to have time off sick, to be honest. I think I'd have withdrawal. Um, <laughs> if I don't have... I'm laughing, but least... it's true. Genuinely, <laughs> it it's true. true. It I don't know why I'm laughing, but it's true. Yeah, if I don't have at least two coffees, I get a spitting headache. So, yeah, I'm, I'm physically addicted to caffeine. 
Um, and I'm sure there's many other social workers that are probably in the same boat and would have withdrawal. So if social work sickness rates are a concern, which they obviously are, we, we know about that for, for many reasons, let's not do this. Let's not cut out caffeine or you're going to have a very poorly workforce. I don't drink tea or coffee. No, I know you don't. Of course, you're clean living. So. No, I never have. I, I never have. You never? Um, no, no, no. I mean, I used to... like. Uh, I really, I've never, honestly, I've never, I've never liked the taste of coffee. I've occasionally tried to get into it, but I haven't really liked it. And um, I've never really been a fan of tea either. Um, I drink rooibos. But you're tea. a northerner. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. like, that's an insult to your It is. When I, have to go, when I go into people's <laughs> house, I just have to drink the old council pop. I just have to hit hit water straight out of the, uh, straight out of the tap. Um I'm, I'm and you, so... were, you were a night manager as well in a hotel. How did you get through a night shift without caffeine? I used to smoke out your cigarettes. Well, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I used to smoke out your tobacco. I mean, I gave, up, I gave up smoking 13 years ago now. Um, but yeah, I've never... Um, it's, I've always been very sensitive to caffeine and it's been worsened by the fact that I've never built up a tolerance. So yeah, I've never drank tea or coffee. And I, I kind of... I, quite, I wonder... I don't. I don't know which it is. I, I wonder if I function at kind of a normal productive level, and I'm kind of evened out because I don't have the highs and crashes. Or I sometimes think, what could I be if I was drinking caffeine? I don't know which it is because I've never had it, and you know, you don't. I, I sometimes question: Do I miss what I, what I've never had, or would getting on board with the old caffeine with that, you know, would it be like performance enhancing drug? I mean. Yeah, we should probably try it at some point. I mean, oh, no, even if I you really don't can't. like tea or I, coffee. I can't. Oh, no, what the, about... Sensation. I get, I get like heart palpitations, like genuinely it does. It kind of messes me up. You have to push through that. I mean, not I'm even not... when you were younger and like, I don't know, vodka rebels or I mean, yes, egg bombs or... <laughs> I, used to do, I used to do other things that got my heart racing when well... I was younger, man, but <laughs> I, um, yeah, I've never, I've never, I've never... Never drank caffeine. I've never, like I said, the occasional, but I, I never have. So I couldn't really relate to this. I mean, I could, I could relate to it in the sense that I've got loads of colleagues who drink coffee, vast majority of people. In fact, I'm honest, everybody I know is a coffee or tea drinker. I'm, I'm, I'm the odd one out. But is Matt on the money here? As a coffee drinker, is Matt on the money in terms of, you know, without coffee, would we all struggle in social work? Loads of us who do um, oblige. Definitely. Um, and and I love the fact that he had to have that coffee before he wrote his article because yeah. actually that is I would probably do the same if I was really struggling to get through something if I had a piece of work that I needed to get done I will go and make a really strong black coffee and that will just get That's me going cool. it does stimulate your brain so do you know what um, I do uh, something clean and healthy I'll, meditate I'll make myself, I'll make myself a herbal tea I will put on, uh, yeah, I'll put on some uh, mandarin um, essential oil. Sometimes mix with a bit of rosemary. Both of those are stimulating, and I will play a deep work uh, playlist on my music device. I am not going to mention the name of now, lest uh, she set off and start playing something. You all know who I'm talking about, there, listeners. Um, so yeah, not for me, not for me. No thanks. I'll have a herbal. And how do you get on then with 
office culture around tea rounds and coffee rounds because that's a I mean not so much now in a post-covid world but pre-covid that was a staple part of the day doing a tea round in the office wow were you that that odd one out that just sat in the corner and refused to participate as you can imagine, there have been many a difficult conversation when it's come to putting in for the tea kitty. And I have had to Ooh. be the awkward. Yeah, you can, you can, you can Milk see. Milkgate. Milkgate. Yeah, exactly. You can see it coming <laughs> off. And I would always make the point. I would politely but firmly explain. I bring my own range of herbal teas in with me. I keep them in individually compartmentalized small plastic containers within my rucksack. I do not leave them in the office. I bring my own cup in and I take that home with me. The only thing I am essentially using that is any sort of communal resource is the electricity, the kettle and the water, which I point out I would expect to be provided for free as part of the general council facilities. Oh, I bet you've ruffled some feathers there, haven't you? I mean, tea, coffee and milk are just well, a cup. It's just I, a I don't understand that. I, well, I have no. been told that I was ruffling feathers by saying that, but my point was, well, I don't understand whose feathers I've ruffled. You're ruffling your own feathers there. You've bristled your own feathers because literally, well, I'm just saying I check out of that. I'm not getting involved, which is, let's be honest, a, a drug habit. <laughs> I mean, I, I can't Tell me argue I'm wrong. with that. No, Tell me I'm I can't wrong. argue with that. Is caffeine a drug? Yes, it is. Is yep. it addictive? Oh, yes. Is it mind altering? Yep. There we go. Is it smuggled from Colombia? I mean, I hope it's not smuggled. I hope it's imported legally. Um, All right, there we go. You can see the parallels. You can. You can indeed. But fortunately, it is perfectly legal and. Um, otherwise, there would really be a mutiny and a very poorly workforce. It would, it would. Um, one of our other columnists, before we get on to many glasses, um, one of our other columnists, Maisie McDonald, she wrote a piece almost a year ago. You may remember this one. The title was Social Workers Should Be Given a Coffee and Chocolate Ration Every Morning. And she basically set out a three-point manifesto. Let's see if you agree with this. Um, the first manifesto that she set out in terms of her pledge to be, you know, the queen of social work, I think she describes herself as at times. Number one, social workers should be given a chocolate and coffee ration every morning, given they are both essential to high performance in the field. Do you agree with that one, Tilly? Would you support uh, Would you support Maisie McDonald on that pledge? I mean, do you even have to ask me, Vince? Of course well, you know I would support there that. Go. There we go. <laughs> You've got one vote there. Uh, amazing. Next one, she says that social workers should be given a £100 clothing allowance every month. Are you down with that, Dilly? Obviously, yes. And the last thing she says is that social workers should be given free Botox and hair dye to combat the effects of premature ageing brought on by social work stress. Do you support that? I don't think it'd be mandatory. I don't think you'd be lined up and there'd be a lady in there or a man injecting your face with Botox. But uh, would you be up for that one? I mean, I'm not a fan of Botox, but um, I can understand why people want to. But hair dye, 100%. I've been grey since I was 21. So, Oh, just, just, just remind me again, how old were you when you started social work? 21. Oh, I know. what a parallel. What a parallel. Yeah. I mean, yeah. to be fair, both my parents went grey early, apparently. Um, so I'm not sure if part of it's genetic, but I certainly blame social work, the fact that I got quite a few grey hairs and then now probably pretty much completely grey if I didn't dye my hair. 
We'll get you some hair oil. Right, moving on. We've teased this one, but yes, our columnist Millie Glass um, did a piece for us. It's on the website, guys. If you want to go on mysocialworknews.com, you'll see this near the top of the homepage as one of our featured reads. And it's called The Five Dark Secrets of Surviving the Social Work. Ooh, you like a bit of the dark arts, don't you, Tilly? Oh, defense against the dark arts. Get me there. Just the dark arts, not defense. I'm talking about the dark arts. You can defend oh, against my dark arts. Your um your your mate Snape, your best oh, friend, your best bud. Good man. <laughs> so uh Medi Glass says that there are five dark secrets of surviving social work. And she says that these are things that aren't really taught, but we all do, or if we don't do them, we should consider them. The first thing she suggests is that we need to let it all out. You know, we can fume about the continued fumbling of a government that perpetrates it, and we can be peeved that Paula hasn't picked up the milk on her way in as it is per the dairy diary, while still searching for a way to alleviate the awkwardness she feels for not doing it. Just make sure that the people you unload to know you well enough to not consider you liable to burn down the office or hit send on the scorching email you've constructed during your indignant soapboxing. I do like the way she writes. It makes me laugh a lot. Let it out then. She advocates that one of the dark arts of social work and how would you survive is by letting it out that we should allow ourselves to be frustrated and we should allow ourselves to vent. And that is important. What do you say to that, my friend? Well, I 100% agree. Um, people know if I'm having a bad day in the office, if I start swearing, because I'm, you know, me events, I'm not a, a massive swearer. Um, but when I start dropping some F-bombs or something, people know that I'm having a bad day. And I think it's really healthy to do that if you've got your your safe colleagues around you and they're not going to judge you for that. I think it's it's very healthy to let things go. Definitely. Do you have to be mindful of who you do that around, though? Is, should this come with a kind of caveat and disclaimer that you've got to be careful because sometimes you might vent to the wrong people and they may pass those things on, or sometimes you may vent to the wrong people and it may get you in trouble? Yeah, I mean, I work in the council HQ building, um, sharing a floor with directors and very senior leadership. Um, so I'm not going to go on a sweary rant when I'm in earshot of other people. Um, I think, yeah, it's only natural. And certainly people wouldn't want um, people that use services to, to hear any of that. We, we need to make sure that we keep that to ourselves because dark humour and and making light and sharing your frustrations is a natural coping mechanism and that's very healthy, but we wouldn't want people to take it the way uh, the wrong way or take offence at that. Yeah, you, you, you do have to be mindful, I think, of who you speak to and who you rant to. You do have to be careful. So it's very important, but make sure you pick the right people is what I would say on that one. Um, I'm really bad at that. I'm getting better. I've started to learn to be better at opening up, but I, I, I'm i really bad at ranting. At like letting it out i'd rather just soak it up and push it down which isn't the best of coping mechanisms um the next thing that millie glass suggests is use do not disturb on your phone but you know it's okay for a while to put your phone on airplane mode but even though there's this idea that we should be accessible all day every day and if you need to get some work done, if you've really got to focus on something, it's okay to put your mobile on Do Not Disturb because if anybody does need to get through to an emergency, 
they will come for the duty team or they will go through reception instead for a true emergency. What do you think about that? How do you feel about putting your phone on do not disturb? In your position as a manager, that may be more difficult to achieve, I would imagine. There are certainly times when I have to put myself on do not disturb. If I've got some like a court report to write or there's very something very specific that I need to do. Um, yeah, and I would just let my team know we have a group chat going on on Teams that I need to go and do not disturb for a while and they would respect that and they'd probably ring my personal mobile if it was a genuine emergency. I think that's really important that that we all need to do that sometimes and that's okay. And I think this is where certain councils and certain teams do things in different ways as well. So I have fortunately been in the position where external numbers or external callers come through one number and then admin divert the calls to you and that's a really good way I think um, of managing that situation because then the person that's calling will always at least get through to admin and someone will be able to take a message for them so they don't feel like they're just going through to voicemail but yeah I know that not all offices or teams have that luxury. What I tend to do is I tend to put my phone on um, do not disturb so all your favorites can get through Um, and I need to do that you know if I can go into moments of sort of deep work and sort of sustain that for usually about two hours max, I find that particularly when I'm writing up assessment reports, I can do more work in two hours than I could probably do all day if my phone was ringing. Yeah, yeah, it's it's so distracting. Yeah, it is so distracting to have calls come through all the time. You can't I think the other, the other thing as well is when you talk about mobile phones too, you don't only have the distraction of the calls, the text messages, email, it's social media. You know, our phones are such a time sink. It's even picking them up and just checking them and just looking. You know, we, we're so addicted to our phones these days. It is a massive drain on our productivity. Um, the third suggestion that Millie Glass has is that we need to indulge our senses. So we need to make sure that we kind of do things, you know. Um, and what she says is instead of, uh, you know, also having, also doing wholesome, always doing wholesome things like walks, meditation, mindful moments, she says that it's fine to, uh, you know, throw your marigolds, focus, scrub the house with a bottle of wine and give yourself over to Netflix for a couple of hours, blast loud music and sing to yourself, demand an evening to enjoy some quality time with your loved ones or children. Um, She says it's okay to indulge your senses and to give yourself some time. And I guess the message is that when we always read things about self-care, and I'm guilty of this, I always lecture on these things because they really do help me. When anyone asks me for advice on self-care, I always say, go for a walk, have a long bath, meditate, be mindful, do some yoga, eat something healthy. I'll never tell people just to go home, down a bottle of wine and eat two tubs of Ben and Jerry's. I would never tell people that, but sometimes, Tilly, is it fair to say that that is exactly what people need sometimes? Definitely. Moderation and all that, but... Yeah, I, I personally, I love just putting on some headphones and just listening to some really angry music or sometimes Disney music, turning it up really loud. So it's probably destroying my eardrums and just dancing around so that no one can see you. Um, I think that's really cathartic to just let let go and just have a good time. So I am on the same wavelength as Millie Glass on this. 
And I would agree with that, even though it doesn't work for me and I wouldn't recommend it because I would get in trouble if that was what I was di- that was what I was giving people. Do you know what? I diagnose you with a case of alcohol withdrawal. Go out and get yourself off your head. Of course you couldn't do that. But within moderation, sometimes that's exactly what people need. And she kind of leads onto that in terms of number four. She says it's okay to indulge yourself sometimes, you know, wallow in your problems, have a heart to heart, have a cry, have a tub of ice cream, whatever your processes are, let yourself unfold. Allow yourself to hold up under a blanket and lament that a dead end has been reached and there are no more corners to turn. We are human beings and our work has been underpinned by hope for an outcome that is no longer viable. I think that was a very powerful line that sometimes, you know, our hope runs out in social work and we've given months or sometimes maybe years of ourselves to avoid a situation that comes about and it's okay to be sad. It's okay to let that affect us and it's okay to maybe want to stay under the duvet for a day. And that is a good secret to survive in social work, is it not? Yeah, that's perfectly healthy um, to sort of show your emotions and just let yourself wallow in self-pity sometimes. I will admit that that's what I do every now and then. Or I will immerse myself in some sort of distraction, like some sort of, I don't know, serial killer podcast Mm. or, um, yeah, something gruesome or murdery. That's what um, that's that can be quite a nice cathartic way to get through the day. What would you say was worse? Allowing yourself to wallow and giving over to those periods of just hiding under the duvet and feeling like rubbish and not doing anything or not doing that. I think you you need to do that sometimes and and taking social work out of the equation, if you're just having a really rough time in your personal life and you're feeling really sad or down it's perfectly normal to do a Bridget Jones and watch loads of sad films and have a good cry and eat Ben and Jerry's under the duvet like that's quite a normal thing for humans to do so of course it's going to be that you're going to need to do that within social work as well it's just part of getting through the days difficult days It's important that we allow ourselves that time. And this comes back to actually, you know, you, me and uh, Matt covered this on one of our opinion columns about three weeks ago, where one of the questions that we answered on our Monday opinion columns, listeners, if you haven't checked those out, me, me, Tilly and one of our other writers, Matt, do an opinion column every Monday where we get questions to answer or sort of things to reflect upon and we all give our views. We did one three weeks ago and the question was, should social workers have mandatory, you know, mental health days? And what that would be perfect in times like that would it not to be able to say to your manager look I, I need to take a sickness day which is obviously what you have in America it's common in America but we don't really have that equivalent here in the United Kingdom to say to your manager look I, I need a day off I don't want to use it as holiday I don't want to use it as formal sickness but I just need a day off in bed I need to gather myself um, and you and I and Matt all kind of agreed that that would be very important and would it be a far stretch to suggest Terry that having one day like that may sustain you in your career? I think it could, um, because it is really hard to set that time aside. And and as we talked about, I think all three of us reached the same conclusion. Taking leave can be really difficult. We're often busy during leave, um, doing all those things that you don't normally get time to do. And people don't want to use sickness days um, unless they feel like they... Uh, ill physically which shouldn't be the case but it's kind of the way that 
society still works at the moment. So having those occasional days where you could just give yourself permission to let go and, and have a relaxing day, I think that would be really important and would help sustain our workforce. Yeah. And I think that's important as well, because sometimes, you, you know, you, you can take one step back and it can literally save you. Like a genuine, you can just take one or two steps back and life can, it can save your career, really. Kind of, it can save your way of life, it can save your welfare, it can save your family, it can save your friendships, you know. It can potentially even save your life without, you know, being too dramatic about it, you know. Sometimes we get in awful situations because we haven't been able to rest along the way. So allowing ourselves to wallow and hopefully have permission from our managers and employees, employers to do that, that, that can mean a lot. The last uh, of the fifth secrets, the last five, last of the five secrets, the fifth one is find the funny. She says, finally, the darkest and worst kept secret to survive in social work is our signature sense of humour. Laugh about it. Social work is difficult, complex, and invariably comes with a side of trauma that we can't substitute out. It might seem counterintuitive and contrary to our values to laugh at the situations we find ourselves in, but irony, satire, and parody can oftentimes be the antidote to working day in, day out with the infamous toxic trio. As Ricky Gervais so eloquently phrased it, humour helps us to get over the bad S-H-I-T. So, Tilly, what would you say about that? <laughs> Is humour a coping mechanism? Does it help get you through the days and get you through the weeks? I think it's a vital skill in social work, and anyone that doesn't want to use humour in that way will probably get a dose of reality quite quickly because that's how all, I will say, all social workers function. We have mm. to be able to not always take things so seriously and laugh at ourselves and the situations that we find ourselves in. That's a perfectly normal, healthy thing to do. And yes, to an outsider, it might look like um, we're not taking our job seriously or might be mocking in some sort of way, but it's honestly, it's, it's a perfectly normal human reaction. And I think not only social workers, but people in all sorts of high pressure jobs do the same. Um, they say doctors and nurses and teachers and emergency services, they all have the best sense of humour. So, um, yeah, I count social workers within that group. And I'm glad you've pointed that out, actually, because, you know, I've sometimes faced criticism before in the past for, you know, making memes and writing lighthearted articles. And we do a lot of those. You know, I think even on this article, even on this article, we had somebody left a comment talking about, oh, this is just trash or something like that. And I'm thinking, you know, wow. It'd be great to be so serious all the time. But the key thing is here is I think without fail, all of the people I've ever known who've criticised have either been people who aren't in frontline social work or kind of want to get out of frontline social work pretty quickly and kind of get into management positions or academic positions and kind of aspirations to do that and almost look down with sustain upon the people that are still doing this job on the front line. And... I've never once laughed at any of my service users whatsoever. You know, I laugh at myself. I laugh at the situation that social workers find ourselves in. And, and I think that's incredibly healthy. And there is a, you know, laughter really is the best medicine. There is so much scientific research backing it up. And like you say, Tilly, when you have a look at any arduous career, teaching, nursing, police force, firefighters, the army, 
any careers that we face, you know, really, really difficult situations, you know, some of those being far harder than social work, you always have an element of dark humour. And I think that is an innate human coping mechanism. And just because somebody on Twitter says you shouldn't do that, I don't think we should stop laughing and stop trying to find light in the darkest of ways. Because if we don't try and find light in those darkest of days, what do you think will happen to us all, Tilly? Well, we're all going to burn out. And I feel like that's leading to a Harry Potter quote, almost. Happiness can Uh, be found even in the darkest of times. There we go. And if we all burn out, what's then going to happen to the social workers that these people, to the service users and clients that these people are saying that our laughter offends? The fact that we laugh at the state of our job offends the clients that we work with. But if we didn't laugh at it and we all burn out, what would happen to those same clients, Dilly? Well, they're going to be on a waiting list for social workers or be passed on from person to person. And we all know that that's not what should be happening. Bingo. So I fully agree with Harmony Glass on that one. And I think it is incredibly important indeed. And after all, that's why you and I do our best to have a laugh on this podcast, do we not? And try and mix that with professionalism. It's okay to laugh about ourselves. Let's be honest, it's usually laughing at me. Um, it's okay to laugh about me. It's okay to laugh about our situations, but never laugh about the people we support. Mash Maria says, uh, I enjoy that you incorporate humour even when discussing sensitive topics. And my longtime fan, WWF37, says, We walk the line of humour and seriousness about the profession incredibly well indeed. So there we go, Matilly. There we go. It. I shall take that as a given. Well, listeners, thank you, as always, for being back with us. Our next podcast, oh, how excited you'll be getting a live podcast. It'll be a video podcast as well. Tina and I will be meeting up at our uh, summer writers retreat for Social Work News this coming weekend. So next week's podcast, we don't know what it's going to be on yet, but... You will not only get an audio version, but you will get a visual version as well. So if you want to listen to me and Tilly and watch us at the same time, you shall certainly be able to do that. If you would like to leave a review before then, you can head over to iTunes or Spotify or anywhere else you get your podcast that has a review facility Leave a review and we will read it out on next week's show, just as we've done for Mash Maria 247 and WWF 37 this week. You can also check out the stories we've referred to today on mysocialworknews.com and give us a follow on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook. You also find us on LinkedIn. If you're more professionally minded, you can type in our names on LinkedIn and find us there we'll be back next week with who knows what but until then it's goodbye from me and it's goodbye from me